the Navajo people, you know, the history is we were taken from our land. Uh, we were re relocated. Uh, and the story is the long walk where our ancestors had to march over 300 miles to Fort Sumner, from Arizona to Fort Sumner, New Mexico. And on that, on that journey, many of our women and uh, children died. Uh, and it was the government forcing us. Um, and so when that all happened and our Navajo people could go back, it was like they it was like they knew that was their home. And so I think for me, growing up was uh, very much outside among the sagebrush around the canyon. Uh, my family lives, we have a we've had a home where uh, we lived in a traditional Navajo home. And in that land here today, uh, we it's the canyons, it's the sagebrush. So that just is part of who we are, that connection to uh, uh, the earth, I guess. And so I think just it has to do with my just my background and just me as a child. And even though I never I, you know, I'm not a Minnesota native, I'm not Ojibwe or Anishinaabe or the Dakota people who this is their land here. Um, I just feel that acknowledgement every time I step outside. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. We believe we're doing that by living the demonstration of what we see is a better world right now, and by bringing meaningful conversations of purpose to the endurance sports world. Our guest today is Verna Volker. She is a Hoka One One Global Ambassador, a runner, a mom, and wife living now in Minnesota, but born into and is still very much a part of the Navajo Nation. Verna began her running life in 2009, and although it was originally a means for weight loss, she found what so many of us find, a journey within that drives us to expand, serve, and live with deeper meaning. Verna is the founder of Native Women Running, whose mission it is to be a community that features and encourages Native women runners on and off the reservation with the intention for more visibility in the running world for underrepresented runners. Through Native Women Running, Verna is shining a bright light on intense truths of being a Native woman and giving voice to the voiceless. Since its inception, Native Women Running has evolved into a community of inspiration, motivation, and visibility, and Verna's hope is for Native women to find belonging within the sisterhood she has created. Verna Volker, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I am Verna. Um, just happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, and so we caught your Instagram feed. I think it was just a couple of days ago that you celebrated um, 12 years of running, and you had yes. like a before and after shot. Um, and so... You have on your website, and I've heard you talk about how you started running as kind of a journey to weight loss, but what you found is that it turned into a journey to find out who you are internally. And so we love to dive right in. Right. And so we want to know, what have you found about, out about yourself internally over those 12 years? You know, when I started out, it was, uh, you know, you come to a point in your life where like I was a mom with little kids. And that was like my life. Like that's all I focused on. And so when I started running, it was like about weight loss. But as as I got more into running, uh, I realized, especially as I started doing longer distance like marathons or uh, uh, then I started into the ultras like three years ago, I realized that I could actually do this. And it wasn't more so, it was like 
setting my mind into something that I never thought I could ever do and finding my way through it by just, uh, I think, the process of healing and running for those who have lost and realizing uh, that we, I'm more resilient than I thought. Because oftentimes we say that Native women are strong, resilient women. And I knew that, but it never really was true to me until I started running ultras. Because it was more like, it was physical, of course, it was mental, but it was really just heart. Like, just saying, you could do this. Uh, you know, just even like now when I have like difficult runs or even like a three-miler seems so hard, I go back to how much has happened and that I can still do this three-mile. I could do uh, more than I can imagine. So that's just kind of, I found who I was uh, just through the whole process of this. And, uh, and I hope that my story is always to encourage those who struggle. I mean, running is still hard for me. I never think running is like easy or I'm not natural at it. I've always been an athlete. But I, I really desire is that people will see my story and say, you know what, she was there, like she struggled, but look at her now. So that's always my desire. Now that we're talking about um, a celebration of 12 years, like where did, where did this journey start? If you want to quickly bring our audience up to date on how you got to, um, or, or how you got here, but where it first started. You know, in 2007, my best friend had just passed away and I did this, like, we lived in Nebraska at that time. And I did this like 2.1 mile race in honor of her, which she would probably laugh because she's would say, why are you running for me? Because she hates running. Um, but I remember running that race. There was two options, like 2.1 and a five-miler. And I remember running the 2.1, and there was a turnaround, and the five-milers five would keep going. I remember thinking, how could people run that long? And I was like, how could people run five miles? That's, you know. And then I, I finished my race, but it was it wasn't something that, I loved, I was like, oh, I hate this. Like, why would people do this? <laughs> and so um, I just kind of stopped then. And then it wasn't until uh, 2009, actually, you know, of March, I, we moved up here to Minnesota, Minneapolis area. And I noticed there was like a running culture here in the cities. And I just started running. My sister was in town and we ran like just like a mile. And that's when I just decided, I want to do this running thing. And then from there, it just uh, escalated where I registered for my first like race was August 2009, a half miler, a half a marathon. And I was really new at running. So I didn't know all the like techniques like PR or running watch, having all those things I had, I had no idea. So I was like, oh, okay, I ran eight miles. So that's good training. And so then I ran this race. And I finished it. And by the picture that you see on Instagram, I was happy. That's when it really, like, I fell in love with running. I went from half marathons to marathons to running ultras in the matter of these 12, like 12 years. And so that's how it started. And I finally, uh, I lost weight through that. And then uh, it was a time not also just to run, but just to get, uh, just to get out to get out of my daily life with kids. And so that's how it, how it started. And Native people are really natural runners. And a lot of Native people run when they're young. And they said, I ran all my life. 
I wasn't one of those native people. So, so yeah, now I really embrace running today. In, uh, in that story of starting to just run because your sister was in town, we all know that uh, Minnesota is cold and that conditions do, <laughs> do appear uh, many months of the year. What got you out the door? What was, what was compelling you to get out each day? Well, I've always been a person who likes nature and I would just go out and my husband is from Minnesota. And so he, he always showed me growing up in the Southwest. I mean, we got snow, but we never got this like minus 15, minus 10. But my husband told me, uh, you just have to layer up and you'll be fine. <laughs> you know, some Minnesota telling you. Um, so then from there, I just started learning how to dress in the winter layers. I mean, I've run like 20 miles and minus 20 degrees, um, having to have like uh, making sure my hydration pack doesn't freeze. I put like hand warmers around my the water bladder. I was very creative. Uh, and so you just do it. And for me being in Minnesota, it can get pretty like gray a lot during the winter. But I rather run in freezing cold temperatures than are like 80 degrees. Like I was, I became a runner here in Minnesota. I didn't become a runner when I was home, you know, in New Mexico where it's desert and it's flat. I wasn't running canyons or these mountains. I started here. And so it's been such an adjustment when I do go home how I miss shade. I miss shade <laughs> and I can't handle like the heat. So it's, it's I've kind of gotten spoiled with, uh, I love the Minnesota summers here. So yeah, I think just being outside and being here in Minnesota with all the lakes, even though I'm right in the city, it's like I'm like out somewhere because there's lakes and that's when I, my, my daily running is around a lake every day. So that's, I think just motivating in itself. So you talked about how you love to be out in nature and running is a connection, you know, brings us a connection to the land. How does that connection to the land and to nature interweave with Navajo tradition? Oh, so much like um, the Navajo people, you know, the history is we were taken from our land. Uh, we were the re relocated uh, and the story is the long walk where our ancestors had to march over 300 miles to Fort Sumner from Arizona to Fort Sumner, New Mexico. And on that, on that journey, many of our women and uh, children died uh, and it was the government forcing us. Um, and so when that all happened and our Navajo people could go back, it was like they, it was like they knew that was their home. And so I think for me growing up was uh, very much outside among the sagebrush around the canyon. Uh, my family lives, we have a, we've had a home where uh, we lived in a traditional Navajo home. And in that land here today, uh, we, it's the canyons, it's the sagebrush. So that just is part of who we are, that connection to uh, uh, the earth, I guess. And so I think just it has to do with my, just my background and just me as a child. And even though I never, I, you know, I'm not a Minnesota native, I'm not Ojibwe or Anishinaabe or the Dakota people who, this is their land here. Um, I just feel that acknowledgement every time I step outside. And I feel that way when I go home too. Like, um, it's so different when I go home. It's like this piece, like this is my, this is home. 
And so sometimes I, you know, when you take things for granted as a younger, I'm just like, man, I wish I could go home. Like, uh, I just have so much of appreciation for it so much more now as an adult and not living there has really given me that appreciation of where I came from and the land that my ancestors have been on and my family uh, that who, who, who are there right now. Give us a glimpse into a traditional Navajo home. So a Navajo home is called a hogan. So it's, I would say like maybe octagon shape or kind of like a, so it's made out of like, you know, the structure of like wood and mud, like the earth, it uses everything from the earth to make it. It's a one room house. And there's like a wood stove right in the middle where you can get like, you know, you have a wood stove. So the, you know, the heat and the door always faces the east because the Navajo is believed that uh, when you wake up, you should always face the east to greet creator and say your prayers. And so I grew up <clears throat> when I was really little, my father helped built a hogan. And uh, my father passed when we were three, but when I was three years old, but he had he built a hogan and i do remember uh granted i was young i have i realized the memory that i still have of us just all sleeping in one room like that was just like you know you just that was life and uh i grew up without plumbing and electricity for a long time so that home no longer exists but i'm so happy to have that that memory of living in a hogan so um that's how it is. It's so different from my life here where, you know, kids are like, I want my own room. <laughs> it's like, I always say, let me tell you about when I was a kid. And they're like, oh gosh, mom, we know, we know. So, so yeah, that was, that's a traditional, a traditional Navajo, Navajo home. Yeah. I love that connection. I, I think that really, at, at least for me, it, it strikes a chord to have that that entryway to the East to yeah. welcome in creativity and, and the world. Yeah. Yeah. And we always talk about how when you wake up too, you run to the East, you run to East to, you run to the East to greet creator. And that's when you say your prayers and you, you make a connection and to, to what's around you and your blessings. And so I always knew that story growing up, but it never really played any part of my life until I started running and I run, I used to, when I have time, I usually love running early in the morning and my favorite runs are just when the sun rises. And so I always think of, think of that and how, what a blessing it is. And you, you the rest of your day just seems so much better and brighter when you do that. Now, are there some days where you're running like, you know, kind of in the city, like on the concrete and, you know, I, I come from my entry into like endurance sports was triathlon. And then I went to trail running and I didn't realize until I went into trail running that there's a lot of anti-road people, you know? And I have always, I think I did admittedly go through a phase where, you know, you just fall in love with the trail and you're like, oh my God, the trail is it. But how could you share some words of perspective or wisdom about you're still out in nature, even if there's concrete under your feet? Yeah, that's a good question. Oftentimes, like like when I go trail running, I have to drive. You know, I have to drive like 40 minutes to an hour. Um, I, I think it just depends. I always like with Native Woman Running, uh, one of the things that I, like I made a shirt, I designed a shirt, my nephew designed a shirt called Run the Land. 
I think oftentimes Native people, it's, it's like run the land, I always tell them. Because a lot of times there's this whole land acknowledgement that people are wanting to do with land acknowledgement, which I think is amazing of, you know, doing that more at races of acknowledging the land that you're on. But one of the things that I always tell my runners or what I post is your first step outside is the, the acknowledgement of the land. And so whether a lot of my women, some of them are who live on the reservation, some live off the reservation. All of us are running the land where we're at no matter what, if you're in Canada. And so for me, it's not just about land acknowledgement, it's for us as Native women to say, you know what, I might be outside in the middle of Chicago, uh, that this is my space, this is my land. And so I tell the women, run the land because it belongs to you. And I think oftentimes uh, we haven't found that space. And so this hopefully encourages them to, to do that wherever they are. So I'm, I'm very thankful for all the women. We have so many women from everywhere that are, are, are running and that makes me so happy when I see them running on the reservation or right in the middle of the city uh, because that's their rep they're representing uh, Native women running, but also representing who they are as Native women. I love that perspective. Um, it really is like um, holding every, every step with reverence. You know, we right. get to run, we get to step out our door, that we have that kind of, you know, we live in a society where we can step out the door and we can begin to run and just, you're running the land. Right. And it's those mental preferences of like, well, I don't run the road anymore and I right. only run the trail or that's the only kind of run that, you know, I feel at home with. And really we're missing this opportunity to run, to realize that we're running the land. I absolutely yes. love that. That's so yeah, I don't, I, the obstacles, the obstacles that show up and we, I started with the weather and now we're talking about terrain. So if you can, if you have that connection with your inner self and the, um, just moving the body and connecting with nature, it doesn't matter what it's, what it is, these obstacles simply just fall away and, and your purpose becomes higher than, than anything, what, no matter what shoe you wear or clothes you wear, exactly. how far you go, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Yes. Well, let's talk about Native women running. I want to talk, I want you to tell the story of when it was born. Yeah, so as uh, I got more versed into like running, I realized there was like a social media, people were posting their runs on social media. And um, I started doing that on Instagram where people would show their pictures. So three years ago, I noticed when I was scrolling through Instagram, I saw the same type of runner, the cute white blonde fit. The, 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 the mother who just had a, a baby and ran Boston back to her pre-pregnancy weight. And, and I never felt a belonging. There was a lot of Native people who were, uh, you know, shown or popular Native runners that you would see in runner's world. And, uh, but it was very far and few. But I think for me, it was more like I didn't see myself. I wasn't I wasn't one of those type that was like, uh, you know, breaking records or one that was Olympic try, uh, you know, all these things. I was just a normal person, a mom. So I started doing my research and um, I had some Native women following me on my personal account. And I said, hey, if I started this account, would you follow? And they said, yes. And so from there, I just basically, I share stories. A lot of times people think that it's part of being a membership and I get messages, people saying, do I need a membership? I said, no. Basically, like with Native people in general, we tell a lot of stories. Our life is 
Well, either, even anyone, we have this, uh, our family stories, our, our culture, and all I wanted to do was celebrate Native women, especially those women who never thought they would ever be highlighted or brought to some kind of attention. I think I see myself in a lot of that. Like uh, when Hoka asked me to be one of their global ambassador, I literally cried on a Zoom meeting because I was like, if I get emotional with you guys, I'm sorry, but like I literally cried on the Zoom meeting because I thought, I was of course shocked, but at the same time I was like, it was like I never thought that I would ever be seen like as a runner. And so I want to celebrate women who are maybe, who are doing 100 milers, but I want to celebrate the mom who just started running. I want to give a platform for women who maybe just accomplished their 5K. And so I'm just trying to bring a positive light to our Native women in running and others to see, wow, these Native women are doing these amazing things. Because so many often, so many times, Native women are looked at, like, were looked at through, like, costumes, like Pocahontas, or uh, which overly sexualizes our women. We're looked at mascots and things that are very negative stereotypes of us that were alcoholics, that were casino rich, and that were you know just drunks, and that we don't we're not educated. And so, because of all that, I feel like Native women runners can can share their stories and see that these stereotypes can be broken down, and that people can see uh, them in a positive light. So then, from there. All I do really is because people ask me if I do, I mean, I do stuff behind the scenes like doing different like partnerships or communicating with other running companies. Um, but people are finally seeing us. It took three years, but people are finally saying, oh, who's, what is Native Women Running? So especially after the whole Hoka announcement and people messaging me like about Native Women Running. But, you know, just sharing these stories of women, that's all I do share their stories and uh, highlight them. And I get messages from these women. Like, for instance, there was a mother who um, messaged me a couple months ago. She has five kids. One has special needs. And I just basically shared her story. And she said, I do not, you don't realize how much that means to me. And that literally messages like that makes me mo motivated each time. Like, what I'm doing it is what I'm supposed to be doing. So we are growing, and um, I'm very excited about that, and I'm thankful that people are finally seeing a Native woman running. And I'm all about uh, everyone being part of this. Not There's room for all of us, and that even though my platform is an ambassador for Hoka, I don't want ever, ever, like for me, for pride or anything to ever take away from the work that I'm doing, that it all goes back to those women who, who are following me on Native Women Running, who are sharing their stories. They, it's because of them, it's where it's at today. So I always give credit to all of them who, who have made it what it is today. And what a great, um, I was just thinking, what a great time for this because all races are stripped away. Right. And we're, what, are we re, what are we asked to do? We're asked to find out what our love is truly um, in this experience of moving the body. And, and why can't it be simply going out and running or run, walk or hike right. or, or being outside? Why can't, why can't it be that? I think we look at a lot of things as um, 
momentum and power to keep us separate. Like we're right. always about, we want to be separate um, for some, make us unique, which is, we're all unique. But I think when we look at it from the higher perspective, it's, we're, we're all a community. We're all just trying to feel better. We're, we're, we're all dealing with some sense of unworthiness and some sense of um, fear and doubt. So why don't we just get in all of this together and just share it? Like it should be shared. It shouldn't be hidden. Exactly. Um, these are things we need to speak about. So, so given that platform, I'm sure you've received just amazing feedback. And I was going to ask you to share one, but it sounds like that that was a pretty powerful one. Five children and um, yeah. amazing. Is there anything else you've experienced that a story that has just really like moved you? Yes, there's there's a lot of women who have. Uh, you know, when we talk about running in general, oftentimes for Native people, it is about. It is about accomplishing something. It's, a, it's about PRs. But really, as I've seen in the last couple of years, it's actually about healing. We have a lot of women, and also myself, who are healing from like trauma. You know, we have this historical trauma as Native people, but it, it affects us personally, like all of us. Like I, um, if you hear my story, I have, I've had like a lot of loss. I mean, I've had uh, three siblings and my father passed. And so I think we in general relate so much in those ways because I have women who are running for their husbands who've died of cancer. I have women who run for their sons who've died. And so for them, oftentimes, it's not just about, oh, yeah, I'm running to get in shape. It's really about running in honor of someone they love. And I think, I think that's why... When Native Women Running was started, it was started as a virtual community. Right now, virtual communities are so popular because of the pandemic. But I can say that three years ago when I started it, I am so thankful how much it has started as a virtual community because I feel like because of that, it has helped the whole like the transition to what happened with the pandemic and that we can be seen um, still even though we're virtual it's a community and so yeah it just I think for native women it, it's really hearts a lot of heart and also in regards to our missing and murdered indigenous women I, I have women who are running for their mothers who was who who've been in these situations who are no longer with us so those kind of stories and I think with the loss that I've had in my life, you have this empathy and you just, you know, you're getting this message from someone and you're just like crying your eyes out. And that's what I feel like, that's why I keep, I'm, I'm so always motivated to keep doing this. I'm glad you brought that up. It was um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the murdered and missing Indigenous women. I mean, there are some statistics there that, you know, left BJ and I with our jaws on the floor. So can you talk a little bit about that? And uh, I know that that is a, that's a part of your mission, really. Like it, it really helps you guys keep going. Right. So the missing and murdered Indigenous women crisis has it's been on for a very long time, but I feel like in the last several years, it's been brought to attention to it. Um, you know, Native women and United, Native people in general in the United States, we make up, what, like 2%, you know, so in regards to Native women, uh, if they go missing or murdered, uh, you know, the, the percentages are really high. So in 2016, there was a study that Urban Indian Health uh, Institute out in uh, Seattle, Washington did, uh, and that was 2016. Uh, they, they, um, I think they guesstimated over like 5,712 uh, known cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Only 113 were actually recorded in the Department of Justice, Justice database. 
And so when you think of that, that is like, I'm always floored about that. And that's like 2016. And so I am sure the numbers are much higher. So when Native women go missing, it's almost like we're invisible. And, and, and there's so much issues with that because a lot of these women who go missing, there's a whole jurisdiction issue with tribal police or, you know, goes to state, federal, the FBI, you know. All that is into part of why there's no accountability or how to do these records. Or oftentimes these women are, if a woman gets murdered or goes murdered or missing, oftentimes it'll either be like, well, she was on drugs or she ran away from home and, or she'll come back. Or sometimes some of the things that are said to these families when their daughter goes missing, well, she'll come home. So there's really not this urgency of let's help these women. So I think there's an issue with jurisdiction and uh, just the whole, one of the things that we say is like we are not invisible. I feel like we're invisible in a lot of that. And some of these families, a lot of times they have to do their own like search where they have no one else helping them or the, you know, the FBI, it will come in, the BIA, Bureau of Interface, will come in like a couple, couple months later, you know. So there's just this, this sadness among uh, us and Native women, where even though we might have not, we might not have a relationship, a relationship with like, she might not be my daughter, I might not know her, we all feel this like commonality of pain, because they're like, in the Navajo or the Native culture, we see ourselves as sisters. And so when our sister goes missing, it's really heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for us. And so for me, uh, my, my daughter, she's eight. I mean, if anything ever happened to her, I would do anything to like find her or to get justice for her. And so a lot of times these families are not getting answers. Um, and I think that's why as a Native woman, Native Woman Running is we try to bring uh, visibility to this issue and awareness that uh, this is going on and and it's happening off the reservation and it's happening in cities where women are. And so I think um, in the last couple of years, it's just gotten so much awareness and this is our reality. And, and it's sad to me, uh, but what can we do? We can just bring awareness. We can support these MMIW organizations and so on. And so a lot of my women will actually run. I created a virtual event three years ago that um, called the MMIW virtual uh, run, which will be happening again. And on that day, these women run on May 5th, which is the National Day Awareness for Missing and Murdered. And that day, women will run with a a red t-shirt, which is the color for our MMIW. And on that day, they run as many miles, as any, any miles, rather run, walk, in honor of missing and murdered to, to flood social media with the color red and remembrance our, of our women. So that's something that I really feel passionate about. And because I feel like I don't have the privilege of going to marches or things like that, this is my way that every woman can be part of this movement. Yeah, and these statistics are really staggering that Native women are murdered at a rate of 10 times higher yep. than other mm -hmm. ethnicities, and it's the third leading, leading cause of death yep. for beloved family members, and 84% of Native women have experienced violence in their lifetime. So yep. 
Do we have a who and a why? Is it, is it domestic? Is it, is it not domestic? Is it acts of, um, you know, ethnic violence? Do we know? There's, there's, there's so many, like oftentimes uh, it could be domestic violence. There's been uh, stories of that. There's also, um, uh, it could be, for instance, like uh, one of the things why Native people are really against uh, pipelines because, you know, pipelines, uh, you know, they destroy Native land. And so Native people are all about that because it's destroying their, their water. But also when they have these pipelines, uh, people move in. These man camps move in. And so these man camps, these men that come in, there's, uh, they come on reservation land or near the reservation. And that's when a lot of um, our women are, are uh, sex traffic, you know, sex trafficking or uh, uh, they're raped and things like that. And according to of what I remember is if, any, if a non-native commits a crime on the reservation, he cannot get any kind of time. The only thing that we could like, they could be charged with is a speeding ticket. Other than that, if they hurt our women, it's, they can do what they do and then go and leave and you can never find them. So those are things that need to be, that need to be changed. So it's a high range of things and sometimes we just don't know. You know, Montana, uh, in, they're in the Billings area, there's a lot of Native women who are being found uh, murdered uh, and it, it's sad. It's really sad. So it could go across the board, domestic violence, man camps, people who are just going after a woman for sex trafficking and, and, and things like that. Wow. This is really, this is really dark. There's a lot of generational pain in mm -hmm. your, um, in your bloodline, really, right. you know, mm -hmm. your, your sisterhood and, and your family as a nation, as a Navajo nation. And I also saw a post on your Instagram about like four years ago, you were harassed um, while on the trail and you are moving through that fear, uh, getting back on the trail with some sisters. And um, I would think, knowing what I know now after reading that post, like that must have hit really, really deep. Yes, it did. And I've also had incidents, you know, where just, just things growing up, you know, I saw violence, I saw things, I saw, I mean, when my father died, you know, my mother uh, had different, you know, men and stuff, and I saw how they treated my mom, you know, like, I saw when uh, her arm was broken, basically someone broke her arm. So you see that growing up, and so when that person, that state park worker who's supposed to be there to help you, literally like screamed at me and yelled at me it was this instant like emotion like why are you doing this to me like i'm not trying to hurt anybody um but you know it's like that day i took a stand even though i was just very emotional that day i went and would have took it to the higher up you know to people who were in charge of the boss who his boss was like said i was breaking rules you know whereas i was like give me your card i want to talk to your supervisor. So I think it gave me this empowerment too of standing up for myself um, during that time. And it was good to go back to that trail because it was a little hard, but at the same time, it was like, I have to, I have to face this. So yeah, I think it just, all of it connects in that way, especially during that time. Yeah. And, and, you know, fear 
isn't always the reason not to do something. Fear many times is the reason to do something. So when you went back on that trail not too long ago and you had um, support with you, how did you move through those moments of fear or remembrance of that fear? You know, it just it was just interesting because it, everything kind of flashed back to me, like during the trail, like running. Um, and we were supposed to go to the spot where this all happened. So my three friends were like, we got to get there so that we could just like, you can just let it go. But we weren't able to have access to that. But they, so we found a spot and they just made sure just to reassure me that they were there, how I was feeling and just kind of working through that. It almost gave me this more of like a motivation to, to just not let that bother me. Uh, and I think back and I'm like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done this, you know. Um, but I, I just now I think, don't you ever treat any woman like that, you know, on the trails who who wasn't like doing anything wrong. Uh, so just giving me this empowerment that day where I was even actually thinking, oh, maybe I should go there this weekend. You know, um, I think it'd be a little bit different if I was by myself. You know, at least I had like three women with me. I think if I was to go alone, it'd be a little bit different. So maybe that's one of the things I need to do is try to face that alone. So. Yeah, we're always working on some sense of <laughs> some, some sense of up leveling. It's like just when right. we think we have it, we're like, yeah, okay, I'm unstoppable now. And then something else floods into our life and we're like, are you kidding me? Like right. I need to <laughs> right. I need to step up my game again. But you yes. lead such a... um. Oh man, it's just so empowering to to. I'm just picturing myself right there when the, with those three other women, and they've got your back, but but you have their back, and now that spreads through their communities, and then this trickle effect happens where we shouldn't really, you know, we shouldn't really neglect um, that swirly sensation inside that says like this doesn't feel right, right? right and I think true. all too often we start to backpedal into our habits of just let's not rattle a boat, let's not shake shake things up a little bit. And um, to do that as um, to do that as a woman on the trail, and to do it alone, eventually it's going to happen. Like you're going right. to have to go out by yourself. Exactly. Like it's so emp- so empowering. And and my point is here, that time will come. Like when right. when you're ready. And, and you know we work through this with our athletes and with our own selves too. Like pushing the envelope too quickly, you know, you're 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 playing with a little bit there. And, and if it right. goes the other way, it may not feel comfortable, but when you're ready, oh, when you're ready and you embrace yeah. that, that just sets the momentum in a different direction. And it just, wow, you don't know where it's going to take you. The same right. thing with your Instagram account. I love that you were so, you know, you're like, are you going to follow this? If, <laughs> if, if I set this up, like, that's how we are. We're, we're like taking little tiny steps, but then right. look, look at where it's at now. Three exactly. years later, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- relentlessness. So, you've got a you've got a ton of relentlessness in you. I try. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Who who yeah. in your life is relentless like that? Really empowering. My sister. Yeah. So um, the story is. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm just getting emotional. But my sister. It happens she, on this show. It's okay. Oh my gosh, you guys! It's you guys. <laughs> so my sister. Um, she's my older sister in in the Navajo culture. The older daughter is the matriarch of the family, and so my sister is the one who, um, when my father died, um, she took control because my mother was an alcoholic, and so um, my sister is the one who quit school got a job and made sure that we uh, got an education. 
And so she is like, uh, she doesn't realize how much the mom I am, the person I am is because of her. I mean, she made things happen like she made Christmas happen. I mean, we were like just poverty level. Uh, you know, we had so much loss around us. Um, and my sister somehow made Christmas happen. And so I think because of her, she is, I, she is up there. And um, it's because of her, I think, is where I'm at today. And she made sure that I got an education, especially us younger siblings, because there's 10 of us. And so she's like the oldest sister. And because we've had siblings who've passed away, she's the one who's had to plan the funerals. She's the one who has to call us and say, you know, your brother died. We want you to come home. Like she is the one where I, when I go home, she tells me to come with her to the funeral home. Like, like she is the, the stronghold to our family. And I think that's why I always brag about her. And she doesn't realize how much she's, you know, played such a big role. And I think I give all, all the credit to her. So, yeah. How old was she when she stepped in really as the mom? She was probably 14. Like she lost of her, she lost a lot of her like uh, teenage years, you know, to just taking care of us, you know, and she started working because she, there was no one to provide for us. And so, yeah. And does she still live um, in Navajo Nation? Does she yeah, still live on the reservation? Yeah. She's, she lives uh, in New Mexico. Yeah. She's uh, as a caretaker for sure. Cause right now my mother is 83 and, um, she takes care of my mom too. You know, she does all that, takes my mother to the hospital, takes my mother to the doctor, uh, does all that. And still, she's still the boss. <laughs> she's, even now, I mean, I'm the youngest of 10. And uh, when she says she wants something, like, you know, like she needs help with something, we're like, okay, she'll text us, say, you know, or like, you need to go call your mom, you know, and we have to listen to her because you should should never say no to her so what a so, responsibility yeah. age 14 I, I can't even imagine you know dressing myself at that point right. to get to school at that age what did you see what did you see uh, can you recall that do you recall that when you when that happened uh not see uh, yeah she no a little bit but i just remember uh what I love about going home and just seeing with my sister is there's oftentimes it's just her and I. And she'll, she tells me these stories that I've been able to, to record, like just write down of things that I never knew about, things that were actually happening and things I'm just like, how did you like survive, you know? And even hearing my mother's story, my mother has had a traumatic uh, past too, you know, where she's had like her little brother die in front of her and, you know, her brother's dying and seeing her mom and dad in an accident. Like all those things, like just the story of just trauma, uh, but also we saw my siblings, we see the good in it. You, you can't say that often, but because of that, I feel like my family is close. Like when we're together, we we have a good time you know they still uh from afar love my kids look forward to us visiting and there's something about because you grow up in a family that like a lot of things happen bad things happen somehow 
you find joy. And I think being a Native person, we often find laughter as healing. And when I'm with my siblings, there is a lot of laughter of that. So, uh, yeah, she, I, can, I remember a little bit of growing up, but I just remember all the good things she did for, for us kids, for us younger siblings. And we, one year we didn't have like Halloween costumes and she made Halloween costumes. She made sure we went trick-or-treating. Those things are just really embedded in my mind. So those are good memories. So she allowed you guys to, she really created a space for you guys to have these um, traditions of Christmas and, and, um, and Halloween. For your kids, um, is there any Navajo tradition that you have brought to them or introduced to them or anything that, they, that you have seen that they are interested in, in your background? Yeah, they are, I think as, uh, my oldest one is 17. And so he is, a little, even more so, he wants to, he wants to go to college near my family because he wants to see what, how my family, like just to have more connection with my family. So my kids are always interested. And when we travel home, every, every summer we travel to New Mexico in a van, you know, the whole family van. And my husband's really good because he's from Minnesota. He's always made it a mission that my kids would know where they came from. And so every summer we take a big road trip, which we didn't do this past summer due to COVID, uh, but we take a big trip out there to my family. And my kids just are so interested in everything around them, like uh, things that like are, we eat and things that we, um, we do as a family, and just especially just exploring the land. And so, and language-wise, like for me, I speak Navajo, but not as my my okay Navajo. Um, they're always interested. They're always interested in that too, and they always tease me about like uh, how um, like I only speak Navajo to them when I'm saying something where I'm getting after them, like you know the word, like you know. So they know they they shouldn't like. Um, uh, you know, get mom mad because I will say, I will say that word. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, what are some of the opportunities that you've had through being an ambassador for Hoka One One? Well, I just was announced. Uh, I knew this news and since December, so I was just like hiding it and not even saying anything. Um, but they just announced me like mid February. So I've had. So far, uh, they have opportunities to like write, you know, create things for the shoe, the brand. Uh, actually, I just had an article by Well and Good. Have you heard of Well and Good? Mm -hmm. Which came out today. So just writing anything up for them that they need me to write up. Uh, I was able to be on the whole Carbon X to, uh, uh, yeah, that was like, I was really like, that was really special to me. I was like, wow, I'm actually doing this. Um, and there's other opportunities for me. They're going to be helping me with my MMIW virtual event, which is huge. And I'm really thankful for that. So they're, uh, we're in, in the process of meeting that. Um, that's what I love about HOCUS. HOCUS has always been about DEI for like the last three years. I feel like they've been one of the companies that's always been about diversity, equality, inclusion. Before it was even popular, I feel like it's 
becoming very popular now and people are finally seeing the, the, the systemic racism in running itself. And I feel like Hocus has already been working with that for a very long time. And so, um, so I have different opportunities uh, coming up that I'm working on. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot. I'm supposed to run a race, so um, that they're willing to sponsor any sponsored Hoka race. So um, I'm looking forward to those kind of things. So whatever they tell me to do, I'm doing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> what did um, we were so glued to the screen for that race? What did what did you take away from Jim Wamsley's um, epic uh, attempt at that at that world record? Just amazing. I mean, just I mean that guy is like. It just seems so effortless, like when he run, it just seems like, okay, I'm running, you know, like, uh, so I've always been impressed with him and just the humility that he has. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard him talk about is, you know, just letting go and, and moving on. So he has right. an amazing race. It's like, let it go, move on. He has a awful race, let it go, move on. Move on. Yeah. And um, with you, right, you've had so much opportunity in your life to cast yourself as a victim, you know, your, right. your, uh, your background, your family, your nation, the things that have happened to you. And instead of doing that, cause we always have a choice, right. mm -hmm. just like your family, you're choosing to see the good, you're choosing to be powerful. You're choosing to be inclusive. Like, I love that. Like I, I follow native women running. I, I want to be a part of it. Right. I mean, right. and I'm Irish. Right. Um, <laughs> and now you've got yourself aligned with an amazing company like Hoka who is inclusive and um, how can we all be a part of the May 5th event? Like, will there be more information coming out about that? How can people find out about it? Just follow my Instagram. I'm definitely, it's in the works right now. Um, and so, yeah, I always encourage people because people will say to me, especially with Native One Running, when there's an event, is it okay? You know, I'm not Native, but could I be part of it? And I am one of those people where I'm like, even though I had created a space for Native women runners, I'm all about people coming to join us and supporting us in these events. So once I announce it, I welcome everybody to be part of it. Anything that I do on Native women running. Granted, if you're not Native, I am all about having people support us and coming alongside us and saying, hey, I want to be your friend. I want to support you. Um, I think oftentimes uh, we don't have that. And right now I have a uh, event with um, four running groups um, for International Women's Day, a free virtual event where we just collaborated. Um, and two of them are from, one is in Boston, one is in New York City, one is in a group out in Atlanta, Georgia, one out in California. We just want to see collaborations of working together. And that's what I, I'm all about. So yeah, so just, just follow us and you will see that announcement. And so, what's, what's the vision for Native Women Running? Oh, I get a lot of that. So Native Women Running is growing faster than I can keep up. I'm alone doing all this. And so, <laughs> and yeah. I have my teenage boys who help me with the website and any kind of stuff like that. But um, I would love to someday have an ambassador program where I have different women, Native women who are leading groups all over, we call it Turtle Island, you know, from Canada down to, to South America, like this Turtle Island, of uh, building this community in their area. I've had people out in Canada, First Nations people reaching out to me saying, hey, I want to start a Native woman running group. 
And I don't have any kind of system yet or any kind, but I see the need to have these ambassadors and say, hey, you are living in Phoenix, Arizona, you're Navajo, I would like you to start a group there and building communities in their area. Because I oftentimes get people say, hey, is there a native woman running group out in uh, New York? You know, so my mind is already like moving, like we should get a group out there, you know? So, and I think that's, that's my hope and just doing events that matter to the women. Uh, I think sometimes uh, we can create all these things, but I've had these focus groups where I ask women, what do you want from Native Woman Running? And so they are able to just let me know this is what they would like to see more. Because even though I could create every program, you know, for every woman, it, I could do all, so much, but I definitely always try to get the woman's feedback because they are Native Woman Running. And if they want a session on coaching, let's do that. And so, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of things in the works. And uh a lot of stuff right now has to be on hold, like more like in-person stuff, just due to um, just due to the pandemic. Because our nations have been really affected by it. The Navajos, when last year when everything happened, I was very careful of even now just expressing as a founder of Native Woman Running, we can still. Uh, there's a lot of prayer runs, land runs. There's a lot of virtual events, but please remember, there's still a pandemic. And you might not uh, be personally affected by it, but someone has. And so from that, talking that as just heart, because my son got COVID and he got really sick. And so for me, it affects me personally. And so I try my best to give that balance and get that message out to say, hey, you can still run, but please just be careful. Uh, I guess it's maybe that mother in me. I'm not trying to be bossy, but I truly care for people. And I don't ever want to be in a position where someone got sick or someone got something in, in regards to COVID because I would feel really bad. Mm -hmm. So I'm just very cautious and very careful on how uh, my events have been far and few because of that. And as you move forward, you know, this... Um just this hit that you had really out of frustration to create, you know, that, that you weren't seeing runners that looked like you and it becomes now this thing that is growing so fast. And, you know, off the mic, we talked about the possibility of you now starting a podcast and sharing, you know, the voices of these women in a new way. What do you have to say to somebody who's like kind of has that hit on their heart? Um, I think what's so cool about when we find a purpose in our life, it comes in so many different ways. And for you, it was frustration. For somebody, it could just be this thing that they've been hearing their whole life that they want to do, but maybe they don't, they're stuck because they don't know what it's going to look like or how. And so what would you say to them? You know, I just feel like it's not just saying it's not going to be easy, you know, it's it's going to be hard. And I think because of how hard it's going to be and how challenging it is, there is going to be, uh, it's, it's going to flourish, it's going to happen. Um, when Native Woman Running was created, I was, you know, I never thought it would come this far. Um, and it was challenging. It was three years. I mean, granted, I mean, I've had people who are not happy with how I run it. I, you know, you always have people who, uh, I guess you call them haters, you know. Um, I've had those. I, I, and I always have to remember that comes with this kind of job. 
that people are not going to be happy with you. So I'm learning how to navigate that and just seeing that uh, that despite the, the little, you know, the little hate that I get, there's just tons of people who support me. And so just telling that person, it's going to be hard, it's going to be challenging, you're going to get this and that. But at the end of it, when you get messages, like I told you from people saying, thank you so much for creating this space for us, it just hits you and you realize, ah, this is what I love doing. And granted, you know, I teach part-time as a second grade teacher. I work in the mornings teaching math, reading, and writing. And then my afternoons I spend doing stuff with Native and running. To me, it's a job. These both jobs that I have is something that I really feel passionate about. And so I really work hard at it and uh, try to balance that with my family. So, And at the end of it, you realize how much uh, through all that hard work and whatever challenges, it's, it's a good thing. And you will see that good thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for passion and, and loving what you're doing. Um, and with that, what we, we have to talk about um, before we close this out, like what shoes do you run when? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Everybody wants to know. We start deep and then we take it to the surface. <laughs> well, so I always say how like I love Hoka's. I've loved Hoka's even before they even made me ambassador. So uh, Hoka's has been my shoe. I used to do Brooks and then I changed. And I just, I have some knee issues and I just feel like, Hoka's is always like you feel like you're running on the cloud. You know, it's just very so easy on my knees. And so I've been right now I've been wearing uh, what did they just send me? Uh, well, they, they sent me the Carbon X2, which is really good. And I really love their I think it's a Challenger 4, which is the trail running shoe. So that's kind of my favorite right now. And so um, it's been kind of fun because now uh, Hoka just sent my boys some shoes. And so I just feel really special that my teenage boys are wearing Hoka's, you know. And so this is a funny story. But my son, who was on Instagram, he said, Mom, I was at school today and I saw a Hoka advertisement. And there you were. <laughs> you know, I was like, I said, how did you feel? Because, you know, he's a teenage boy. I said, did you feel kind of proud of mom? He's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I'm just thankful to, to have that and just to have that opportunity. I love Hoka's. I've always loved the mission behind Hoka's, and so I'm really proud to, to be their ambassador. Oh, my gosh. Verna, you are such a lovely... You're such a lovely being, and oh, thank you're you. doing amazing work. And I know BJ, I can speak for BJ as well as myself when, like, we... We understand what it is when you've got something on your heart and not everybody's going to agree with what you're doing and it mm -hmm. is hard. Oh my God, it's, it can be so hard. But when you love it and you know you have no other choice, you just have to keep going for it. So exactly. keep going for it. We're, uh, we're in your house. We, we oh, love what you're you. doing and we'll continue to follow. We're so grateful for our time with you today. And um, yeah, we'll put all the links in the show notes and I can pretty much guarantee you that we'll be joining you on May 5th. Oh yes, thank you. I thank you so I thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm so uh, uh, just happy to know you all now and to be uh, part of the story. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm.